This spacecraft propulsion system produces wormholes between space and hyperspace using the negative energy in order to generate lift in the hull. Welcome back. I'm here again with Dr. David Morehouse. Dave, welcome back. It's a pleasure as always. Hey, thanks, Sean. Hi, everybody. Now, um, I keep getting requests for this episode. People are like, where's the next episode? Where is it? And, you know, we're finally getting together to, to do it again. So it's been a we're crazy not month and a half. It's been a crazy month and a half. Can you talk about any of that or is that still <laughs> on the down low? Well, I can talk about helping a friend take care of a passing mother, that, but the other stuff that went on with Beyond Skinwalker Ranch, that I can't talk about. I mean, I, okay. I can talk about the way I just did, but no, I can't say anything <laughs> else about it, where it is or what it is or, you know, what we're doing and that kind of thing. But yeah, I'm excited. Can, can you say what? Where, where at a is. meta level what that means <laughs> well, no 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 not where it is not at all but are you cleared to say whether or not there's going to be a follow-on <laughs> season or is this like a supplemental thing? oh yeah good question yeah beyond skinwalker ranch got a second season congratulations yeah and, and they asked that, you to man. come back right they did yes yeah we're okay. happy about that so we're we're happy to be there to play a role yeah we are so uh, it's an honor to be there with them, Travis and Eric and all the rest of them, Bustamante, et cetera. It's, you know, it's a lot of fun to be there. It's not like it was in the past, though, I'll tell you that, you know. That industry used to have money. Nowadays, they can barely afford tacos. So, you know. It's, well, I mean, part of the problem is they're getting emerging competition from this platform, believe it or not. And Oh, yeah. It's, it's coming fast and furious, believe me. <clears throat> Five to ten years, that industry... Like, I don't have to deal with a SAG. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Or the Teamsters or, you know, anything We're employees else at this there. point. Yeah. yeah, we're employees at this point, right? Yeah. So, you know, if I want to work myself to death, I'll just work myself to death. There's nobody. <laughs> right? So. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's, so, uh, it's world's changing. It's changing. You know? It, well, I think since last we talked, Israel wasn't invading Gaza and why well, they haven't necessarily done it yet, but they and, probably and shouldn't. They should just wait. One of my guys sent me a text the other night. We were, we were doing some work on a business call and I get this text and it was from one of my guys, no names to be mentioned, but he's like, Hey, I'm outfitting two IDF Israeli defense force paratroop brigades. I, and I got a pilot, a civilian pilot's going to take all the tack gear and medical gear out of Miami and fly straight into Tel Aviv. I need some cash. I was like, okay, let me see. Nope. I don't have any cash over here. No, no cash right here. I said, I'll ask some friends, but you know, what's this going to cost? I thought he would have led with that, but it was, he needs close to half a million dollars. He's a wheeler dealer. You know, he's been calling sure he's been calling suppliers that supply that world you know of special operators and stuff which is where we both came from and you got stuff to take over there 
and pilots who are willing to fly it in, they just need, you know, gas money and to pay the pilots, I guess, and the air crew kind of thing. So well, that was just an interesting over, text to get. Yeah, they had to fly. Well, they had to fly over <laughs> rockets and all sorts of. Well, he's not things. flying any weapons. He's just flying gear, you know. So, I mean, it's probably going to be medical supplies, and it'll be, you know, some training equipment that we typically use in our business and there might be some tactical gear like you know let's just this is a hypothetical folks it's not real i'm so so yeah but uh, dave the, the average palestinian has an iq of 67.8 do you really think they're going to make that distinction no <laughs> no I, i'm like you know smarter people going to watch this i don't want them to think that when i say tack gear you know we're not talking hand grenade hand grenades and you know, right. m4s it's kind of like, like, like probably some vast harnesses and yeah, harnesses, vests, you know, grenade bags, stuff like that, you know, things to put crap in and haul stuff with. And you can call up a lot of these post-war supply houses and they're turning inventory over or cutting inventory down and this kind of stuff, you know, they can put it in a pallet and get a tax write-off for it. So for them, it, it's a win. To advertise on Through a Glass Darkly, email throughglassdarkly ads at gmail.com. And for him, it's a win because we've trained some of them. And so he's the guy that, as my director of training, he keeps these contacts going. And so, yeah, I, you know, noble, noble cause, you know, to be doing that, in my opinion. So, but it was just a weird text to get, you know, during a business meeting. We're doing the History Channel thing, and then I get a text about that. It's kind of like, well, you know, see who I can talk to. But yeah, I've gotten a lot of weird offers in the last two years. A bet with the Ukraine and stuff like that. Yeah, I told you that story. I'm not going to say it on the air, but yeah. I told you that story, right? That would have been certain death. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> could have been, yeah. And Could I would have been, been certain death without the infrastructure for those tanks. <laughs> we're just like, they're just pillboxes. So anyway, all right, let's get to what the people have tuned in for. Okay. Let's get back to where we are in the secret space program. Okay. This first part is just a really brief little renewal because I had some other things in here. It's just showing again, the history and the distinction between the space war and the space race, and then where the Russians were. Because I'm going to talk about that some more, about developments that went on in the 50s and the 60s that have led us up to where we are now. So that's there. And I also, in in last segment, I drew this simpleton graphic on here because I was having a struggle actually getting a, a reliable record of the number of UFO sightings. Now, granted, there have been UFO sightings back a thousand years plus, but in really, really minor levels. And when UFO sightings began to pick up, it started to pick up right around the time, like within plus minus 24 months of the actual space war beginning. And, you know, NASA not coming in until several years later, but the space war beginning in 45. By 47, we start to have a number of sightings that are ongoing. So this is... 
simply showing you, and this is from the ESRI website, you can go there and see it. And as that lights up, you can see it started in 1906. It started getting really heavy. Let's go right back here just in case you missed that. So it starts in 1906 and goes out till 2014. So 38, very few, around 47, watch what happens. Space war is in full, full on, it is there. The space war is now grossly you know, projecting itself forward. And I just found that to be a very, very interesting drawing. And the same thing when you look at, go to that website and look at it from the global perspective, it's really interesting because you're going to see how it right at the same time as it starts to pick up in the U.S. with the space war, not the space race, the space war, it does across the globe as well. It's also highly correlated with major population centers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is something that came out of the report that was going into Congress. I just wanted to pull this out because I found it interesting and it supports some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. And I know it may be difficult to read. You can actually find this on the AARO website. It's there. And there's also a portion of text where they break down each one of those boxes, makes it easier to see and understand. I think just to hit the trend since 1996 to 2023, that the biggest number of sightings is around 20,000 feet. When the United States and China clash, the world will never be the same, especially when forces beyond reality threaten to intervene. What if the United States went to war with the People's Republic of China? How would these rivals fight for supremacy on land, sea, air, and across the stochastic streams of time? What wonder weapons would be unleashed? What horrors would emerge from the irradiated sludge of the South China Sea? What heroes would rise and forever change the course of history? Tread into the deepest and darkest dimensions of the multiverse, gaze through a kaleidoscope of fractured realities, and bear witness to the disturbing visions of World War III from today's greatest minds in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Weird World War, China. Available now from Bain Books at Bain.com. That doesn't compute for me because 20,000 feet is well within the atmosphere. It's 15,000 feet below where most commercial air traffic flies, but it's right around in the area where you see a lot of any kind of private jets or anything is pressurized will fly there at 20,000 feet. So when you're looking at the total number of sightings, 32.2% of them are in the 20,000 foot range. That's to me odd. And then drops off to 25 and then it significantly drops down looking at the reported UAP altitudes on the left-hand side of that slide. Now, again, the reported UAP characteristics, the majority of the craft end up being round or atypical. Now, if you look back at what we were showing last segment, I showed you some of those kinds of things. I'm going to talk specifically about that in this segment. 
but this round and atypical orientation, one to four meters, I believe, based on what I've seen and what I've read, I've read a lot, a lot more than I really wanted to read for this, but it goes back to that no static reference point, right? And it's why I was sharing that story with you about what happened, you know, 10, 15 years ago where people were capturing these things they called rods. Some camera would go up and look at a 747 on final to land. And then you would see this long image that looked like it had eight wings, you know, going through it. And the reason that it looked like it was as big as a 747 is because there was no static reference point. Actually, that object was between you know, it was probably nothing more than a few feet away from the camera lens. And that was proved, if you guys want to really look at it, instead of reading about it, I think that History Channel in season one or two, episode 11 of Monster Quest, they look at and explore rods. And it's just an interesting, because remember, we're saying, as we started this series, we're not saying that UFO UAPs are not real. We're not saying that there's not alien life out there or that there are not alien craft in and around that we're observing. In fact, I very much believe that there are, but not all of it is. And we have to be discerning and understand when science comes in and does offer an explanation that I, I think we be, need to be willing to at least consider that explanation rather than just say, no, I don't believe it. And I don't believe it because it doesn't line up with what I'm saying. If you really want to be a discerning, a researcher, or a person that is seeking the truth, which I, I know the people on Sean's channel here are, then you need to be courageous enough to step back and go, well, let me think, does, does that explanation, does it fly? No pun intended. So these rods and things that were supposed to be interdimensional, it had these strange wing configurations and other things. It was all an issue that had to do with, with cameras, with the number of frames per second and the high and the low perspective in, in the camera and how it was splitting images and creating these trail looking things that made these things look like exotic kinds of beasts that were flying in and out of dimensions. And they weren't, they aren't, yeah, you know, and, and they proved it there. So that becomes something that you can see. So when we're looking at a lot of these objects that are out there, just like the one last week that they had no perspective of size and they had no perspective of speed or relative speed to them, it looked like it was standing still. Again, it's the absence of uh, a point of reference, a static point of reference. You can't gauge the speed or the size or other things if you don't have something next to it as that gauge, right? So the other things that go on here, if you look at the, the map morphology and it breaks it down into the vectors or tic-tacs or polygons, squares, rectangles, triangles, etc. I'm really surprised that the triangle numbers are as low as they are. And you'll see that in a little bit. And I'm really surprised that the biggest one now are orbs or spheres. But I'm going to talk a little bit about that too, which I think may be an interesting, it's not an answer to it, but it is certainly an interesting thing to think about. So before we jump into that, I promised Sean we would get into exotic propulsion systems that have kind of been in development since 
1945 when we made this determination. And I spent a couple of weeks just digging up hundreds and hundreds of patents and looking at these patents and similar patents and other things to kind of see what was out there, what's still there, what's not there. And as a preface to this, I want to say that just because something has an international patent or because it's got a U.S. patent, it doesn't mean that it has been successful, that it's ever gone to prototype, that it's real. It means that someone is capturing the idea and they're going to patent that idea in terms of what it's supposed to be capable of doing in hopes that they may be able to get money or funding to do it. Now, some of the patents I'm going to show you here are actually U.S. government patents. So U.S. government patents still rely heavily upon the inventor or the researcher, and there are certain conditions that go into patents for inventors working for the U.S. government. But it's interesting to see a patent on some of these things that's a patent that's been filed for and on behalf of the U.S. government. That was interesting. So do they mean anything? Yeah, they mean that a patent has been filed and a patent number awarded. And under certain conditions, that protects the inventor or it protects the U.S., but it's the idea on paper. It's not necessarily the realization of the idea, but still, it shows you where minds are going and where they've been going since 1945 in support of this space race or uh, space war, whichever one they're driving at here. There is also a point now where we should talk again, about gray and black programs. Black programs are programs that are still highly classified. There is no way you will ever be told what those programs contain, what they're working on, how far along it is or anything else. But the bizarre thing that is done on purpose, almost like a disinformation, is that as a program gets developed, this program might be working on eight different airframes, eight different airframes, all of them designed to do the same thing or the same thing with variants in it. And what they do is while they're funding all of those, one of them, they may decide that it's now defunct, but they don't just kill it and not do anything with it. They spin it off and turn it into a gray program. These are typically the ones that you get to see pictures of and or read articles about. And the ones that are still black programs stay so the, because they are very good at keeping those secrets. And I know that there is an effort afoot where people are saying, well, you got to tell us that. And I'm telling you that just this morning at 3 a.m. went through all of the SCOTA case law and trying to find out if there was at any point in the history of the United States did we ever the Supreme Court of the United States, did it ever turn around and find in behalf of a plaintiff, rather, against the intelligence services of the United States and contractors working in support of the intelligence services? And it has not happened. And two really primary ones that are out there, one is Torrent, which happened in 1867, I think. And then there was another one happened in the late 40s or early 50s, both of which easily searchable, and you can read those, where the Supreme Court of the United States has said very clearly, and I've been telling you guys this for uh, ever, that there is no legal precedent where 
the Department of Justice or where the Supreme Court will step in and order the intelligence services to reveal the files to the American people or the people of the world. It won't happen. It will not happen. And they have that protection and they can label it any number of different things as they choose to in the intelligence services, meaning special access programs, meaning contractors working in support of these black special access programs. So the best rule of thumb to adopt in all of this, I found 30 years ago, is to understand that if their mouth, meaning intelligence services, if their mouth is moving and they're telling you something, it's because they want you to know it, <laughs> which means that there's a reason. And you have to un take it from that perspective. They're not there to keep you informed. They frankly do not care whether you are informed at all. In fact, they want to make sure you're not informed. They might want to lead you or push you or steer you in a particular direction, but they have no obligation to you whatsoever under the law or the constitution to keep you fully informed about the things that they're working on. And, and they won't. So. Just know that. But still, the historical references and the things that we can get our hands on and know about, these are clues and, and they tell us the story and they let us know where we are in a lot of the progress around the space wars and ongoings even in the space race, which continues on. But mostly the space wars, because now we have a space branch of the military, which is prepared to fight in that dimension, the space dimension of war, or not the first time, but first time in uniform other than being an Air Force uniform. So here's a government patent, and this was a sketch and a design about a craft using an internal mass reduction device comprising an inner resonant cavity wall. And an outer resonant cavity wall and the inner resonant cavity wall and the outer resonant cavity wall are forming a resonant cavity. So why is this thing trying to reduce its inertial mass? Because it, as it turns out, it's a requirement for it to be driven by an electromagnetic drive and or any kind of anti-gravity drive or even a plasma drive or a gyro propulsion system or laser propulsion system. And so by utilizing electromagnetics, these microwave emitters, it, this concept has the ability, it has the ability to lighten itself, slow itself down, change the overall mass of the craft itself from a molecular structure, all about waveforms and other things. I'm not gonna go into it, but the patent is there. And you can look for any kind of a patent from Salvatore Pace, P-A-I-S, if you spell it correctly, Salvatore, he's Italian, P-A-I-S, been working for the Navy for a very long time and the Air Force as well. And this particular patent was, he was the designer behind this and he was paid for by the Secretary of the Navy. So, right, so this is clearly like an anti-gravity or gravity modification device. It's a component, as I understand, that is necessary to alter the physics of the craft such that an anti-gravity device or other 
exotic drive might be used with it. So one of the things you find as you dig into this is there's not one patent that just kind of seems to stand alone. There's this patent that is necessary for this patent, puts necessary for this patent, et cetera. And it goes everything from switches to how to build the coils to what kinds of a microwave emitters to get or how to build them or how to intensify them and all the other stuff. I mean, you could spend months digging through this. I mean, I wish somebody would. It was fascinating for me, but I really did get to the point where it was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm done. I mean, I could be doing this for another year, looking at all of this, and it's more information than I can really share with somebody. If, if, those of you that, if you have access to a university library, because you're a student or you work there as, as faculty, staff, you could search this and all of the accompanying literature from professors like Salvatore Pace and others. If you don't, then you can go to Google Scholar. And on Google Scholar, you can ask your question. I'm looking for patents that deal with, you know, hyperdrives, plasma drives, gyro drives, electromagnetic drives, all these kinds of things. And you're going to see this. And, and then you can click the summation button on the top if it takes you to the U.S. Patent Office, which it likely will. You just click the sum button on there. And it, what it's going to do is it's going to find similar patents to the patent you're looking at right then. And that's when it gets really fun, because then you can just look back over the decades at all the different efforts, the tries, the funded tries. And it'll show you when they're, whether they're abandoned or it's a, you know up for renewal, not expected to renew, or up for renewal. So that's just one example. And here it is. Again, you know, you're seeing a diamond shape and a wedge craft that's in these figures, one and two. And if you go through this, I can't recall the exact number of pages on this, but this one was a thick one. Yeah, this was a big one. Some of these are upwards of 200 pages, these patents. So now, interesting. How many, of the, how many of these patents that are available to the public are deliberately seeded misinformation? You'll never know. But do they do and that? I, yeah, I think they could. And I think mostly what they do is the patents are public. I tried to research whether or not there are classified patents. And as it turns out, there are. But obviously, I'm not going to be able to see them, and nor is anybody else. But there are some things, the projects and the patents affiliated with the projects that are coming through being funded by the U.S. government or some other government and being uh, worked on by either private contractors or by corporate contractors like McDonnell, Douglas, Lockheed, right? Boeing, those are become classified and held at either the service level, like the Air Force, or at the contractor level or both. And whatever is available in the patent office is either a gray version of that or absent altogether. So I think what you're seeing is, but I'm going to tell you, having been a strategic deceiver, and I didn't do it, but I was privy to the amount of effort that could go into a deception, meaning we have to create, you know, medical literature to make it look like this particular pill is actually an antidote to anthrax so that we can push that pill in a blister pack with a lot number and expiration date 
instructions for use literature. And we need to have fabricated medical literature to go right along with that. We need to have releases in certain journals that support this and some of the findings of this. And that stuff all happens. I mean, they pull in people who have that lexicon and have that experience and they generate false documents that end up standing as real documents. And I work with physicians all the time and no disrespect, but I mean, they are not typically considered people who read research papers and understand what they're seeing. So when there's research literature that's there that, you know, talks about this particular kind of a medication and it's thrown out there, they will either not read it typically. And if they did read it, they really wouldn't know whether it was right or was wrong. I'm not saying that some of them don't, but most of them don't. So that's why, at least in the military, the anthrax antidote that we had from the 70s and the 80s and into the 90s was not an anthrax antidote. It wasn't. So here's another, and this patent is for a triangular spacecraft, and this particular spacecraft, this one is working again off of an electromagnetic wave. And, you know, I'm pulling three drawings out of this thing where there are actually probably 50 drawings in there that are illustrating this stuff with explanations on each one of these. And I'm not going to sit here and belabor trying to go through each one of these patents for you. I'm telling you, that's the kind of stuff you can find. And if you're so inclined, read it. When you're reading it, the science sounds like it makes sense, at least, you know, from my perspective and training in the university level. But I don't know that it ever got that way. But it'll tell you if, if it's classified, it'll tell you if it's been again canceled or if it's up for renewal and refunding and that kind of stuff. It's fun. It's fun to read it. It's fun to read what they're claiming that's going to be capable of doing. But this is a triangular space cap. Remember, why triangles? Because that particular shape for an aircraft is the only aerodynamically stable shape at the subsonic, supersonic, and hypersonic speeds. That's the only thing. And it's stable in rigid, and it's stable in rigid lighter than air, and it's stable in balloons that are just simple balloons, not rigid balloons. So it's a very stable shape, and that's one of the reasons why it's adopted. It is also, and I'll get into this in a bit, this goes back to 1958 in the discussions of a program that's called wingless flight, the lifting body story. And I'm going to talk about that tonight. So it causes not only is the propulsion beneath this and on the, along the sides of it as electromagnetics, it is the entire craft is a lifting body and all it has to have to fly is, you know, in, in terms of its lift over drag, typically if your lift is 1.5 and drag one, when, you know, it's going to fly, you're going to, it's going to come up off the ground if that's your ratio. So again, that one was a fun one to look at and really kind of supported the triangular stuff. But now we look at two triangles. And we're saying it, you know, it's all orbs now that we're seeing. Here, this is a laser augmented Just, turbojet. You go ahead. I'm two sorry. comments on the two comments on the last one. Can you go back? Mm, mm -hmm. 
Okay, so this particular design mm -hmm. has been reported in a huge number of UFO cases. So that could mean one of two things. Either it's not a UFO they're seeing, they're seeing this device, or this device was inspired by those particular events. The other thing, too, that is interesting to note, so on this channel, we talked to John, Dr. John Brandenburg, who is this gem theory that you know, claims to have cracked the unified field theory to some extent. But one of the things that he proposes, according to what the claim says here, is you have an electromagnetic, a net electromagnetic force that's pointing forward, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to have a magnetic field, and you're just doing the right hand rule, that's pointing upward. <clears throat> and then the combination of those two is your pointing vector, right? Which mm -hmm. is what he claims space time is which is what propels the craft forward. So I don't know if the math actually works because what they're saying is there's an electric field. Electrostat, yeah, electromagnetic, electrostatic, electromagnetic. Yeah, and the two rear components, <laughs> and then there's something forward and then kind of the net effect pushes the craft forward. <clears throat> so anyway, I just thought I wanted to comment on those two things yeah. and try to tie yeah, into a thank previous you. episode. Yeah, I, I, you know, there are a lot of guys that believe that they've cracked this uh, space-time and, you know, the gravitational flow. And it all falls into kind of the genre of what they're calling exotic matter. And there are all sorts of theories, and, and I'm going to show you one that's patented, around the use of exotic matter to propel spacecraft, which to me is kind of like a cleaned-up version of Guild Navigators of Dune ingesting spice the melange spice so that they can fold space time. Right. And so that's one of the things they're kind of talking about. You're also going to see a patent in here for generating wormholes and it's a wormhole uh, drive. The other <laughs> funny thing here that just brings back some memories is this is a gradient chart, <laughs> right? I haven't seen these since I've taken I know. differential equations anyway. Yeah. Yeah. This brought back a lot of memories, believe me. It was a wild time at the desk for a long time. Okay, a laser augmented turbojet propulsion system. And here it is on the right, you know, includes a compressor section, turbine section coupled by a shaft compressor section, et cetera, et cetera. Exhaust duct coupled to the aft end of the said turbine section. So this one, when I looked at it, was actually up for renewal and had been and was renewed and it's just talking about again using electromagnetic radiation in the combustion process but using that the electromagnetic radiation as opposed to how you're seeing it where it's compressing fuel and igniting the fuel this is a different process than that not a ramjet, but a different process, laser augmented turbojet propulsion system. So but it's again, still using com compressed air. <clears throat> yes. To propel. Yeah. Right. So these are all exotic propulsion systems that are out there. This is a photon spacecraft. Same kinds of graphs or charts you're looking at. The invention is a spacecraft propulsion system that employs photon particles, light particles, 
to generate a field of negative energy to produce lift on the hull. So it talks about wormholes. It produces wormholes between this spacecraft propulsion system produces wormholes between space and hyperspace using the negative energy in order to generate lift in the hull. Tells you where it's discovered uh, about these curvature calculations of gravitational physics that the negative energy is required to keep open the throat of the wormhole. Again, this is all theoretical, but the idea is something they patent because if the theory can be proven and they can generate a prototype and prove that it works, then they want to have it patent. But it is a magnetic vortex wormhole generator. Interesting. I won't be spending any investment money to see if I can make that work. This one is a space vehicle that's going to be propelled by the pressure of inflationary vacuum state. So I don't know if you guys can see this in the figure one down here in the bottom. It is a saucer type craft. You can see there are two life forms down here in the bottom of it, you know, sitting, staring at look like laptops. So not so creative in the drawing, but the technical field of this disclosure presents a space vehicle propelled by the electromagnetically charged properties of vacuum, meaning in space. This invention Does that mean zero point energy, maybe? It's not what is claimed, but it also refers to the curvature of gravity. So again, goes into this exotic mass idea. And so it's the, the curvature, the space-time curvature being the same as um, gravity proves for the space vehicle's propulsion or provides rather for the space vehicle's propulsion. So the space vehicle, meaning this, is surrounded by the space-time anomaly and may move at the speed approaching the light speed characteristic for the modified locale. Again, so I had 13 claims and, and six drawings, and I, I found it fascinating. But here again, I don't know. And I don't know if any of these have been turned into prototypes and, and tested. I mean, some of them may very well have been. And here's the thing is you won't know, particularly if it's successful, you won't know. And People have this tendency to believe it because, well, it showed up in, in popular mechanics or because it showed up in aerospace news or because of something else that it was real, it worked, and there you go. Or there's a recent case on the M drive, EM, electromagnetic drive, which had great purchasing in the UK as a joint research project and then was kind of released to be further developed in the open, which goes right back to what I've been saying. It wouldn't have been released to be worked on in the open unless it had been turned into a gray project. The black version of that project, which is still out there because you're gonna see a great number of electromagnetics being used in drives and in various shapes, forms, sizes, ideas, etc. So, uh, the M drive was released and it had a finding of its ability to produce propulsion using electrons. 
in a vacuum, like from the previous patent. And then all of a sudden, a university comes up and says, yeah, well, we attempted to duplicate your experiment. We could not reproduce the same results. So we have to be discerning, but we also have to understand that what you're seeing or hearing about what's happening doesn't necessarily mean that it's all copacetic, that it's up front. They may have turned around and done that just to kill the gray project off so that the black wouldn't continue to be worked on without a lot of interest. The project coming out of the UK received a great amount of interest and the original inventor who was really old was trying to get it released out of defense services and get it put into the commercial arena because he wanted it to power freighters and power cars and power other kinds of commercial and private transportation and uh, you know interests and you have no idea you know how that was handled whether they just allow him to do it or whether there was a strategic deceptive plan that was put together for that and i think all of the above some aspect of these things are true and we're not going to know what is at least not right now and maybe not for ever but the m drive had a lot of successes reported but they took one test that came out of the UK and then a couple of universities jumped in. But you have to remember again, universities don't do research unless somebody's paying them to do it. Right? They don't have a group of scientists sitting around eating peanut butter and jelly going, you know, oh, the M drive's released. Well, let's just see if that really works. They don't do that. So, somebody paid them to do that research and publish that failure report mm -hmm. somebody paid them who paid them and you know where did that tasking come from now that's being discerning and you have to remember that so when i heard that coming out you know poo-pooing the whole m drive concept and watching all these people kind of dogpile on that like oh mm -hmm. well we got you now kind of thing right yeah those of us have been around for a long time and look at that stuff and go Mm -hmm. Highly suspicious. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, I'm very suspicious. Very suspicious when universities come up with, you know, seemingly unsolicited yet paid for research that kills something off for some reason. So just keep that in your hat. Here's another cool one magnetic pole spacecraft. Don't ask me to explain this one to you. I read this probably 15 times, I swear. It was confusing every time. And I typically understand this stuff, but I think the, the drawings are cool, but it didn't make any sense to me. So anyway, maybe the science really bad on this one, but that is a patent for magnetic pole, uh, monopole spacecraft. Here's one. This is an international patent in case you've not seen one. And this is for an electromagnetic thruster. So you can look at the drawings and see these. They look saucer-like. And remember I told you that I happened to go to the, the classified Air Force Museum at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And, and there was a craft that would have looked exactly like that, that was all aircraft aluminum on the outside. And there was no 
pilot compartment on it. And the underside was not some big fan. The underside was sealed. And it had some sort of ribbing that went up into the center, much like this one does. So I don't know if what I was looking at is this, but what I was looking at was extraordinarily odd. And it wasn't the old fan helicopter looking thing that you've seen people show up and say, oh yeah, we built a flying saucer, here it is. Uh, with some guy riding on a on top of giant fan. This is interesting. It is an apparatus and method for gyroscopic propulsion. And when you read this, it is interesting that with a gyroscope, utilizing this gyroscope, that it can actually generate propulsion and lift. This now, is like the Joseph Firmage <laughs> concept. We're very similar to it. He uses yeah. these gyroscopes. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see in figure seven, which is like right down here, it has intakes and exhausts. And so the intakes and exhausts, apparently how and where this gyroscope is moving, that it, it the moving the particles, that bringing particles in and pushing particles out can one cause lift and also propulsion just using the gyroscopic inertia of this thing and other variations of it. It's this interactive kinetic energy is basically what they're talking about. Now, this one is methods and systems for generating an anti-gravity neutral region between two counter-rotating magnetic sources in accordance with ECE theory. So why bring this one? Because this is the start of anti-gravity. This is where they've been working, using electromagnetic fields to levitate an object and by changing elements of those electromagnetic fields, by changing the variables and altering the wave in them, causing this suspended levitating device to spin clockwise, counterclockwise, go up, go down, etc. So it's just one of the early on creations of it, but this was published actually in 2011. So it tells you that they're still looking at it and still working on it. And this one came out of Alexandra VA out of the Galactician group, which that might make a little suspect, but anyway, there you are. That is one of the versions of an anti-gravity drive. There are other lots of plasma drives these are articles that you, again you can find these on google scholar these are plasmas for space propulsion plasmas for spacecraft propulsion two different authors to you know two different places being done it's just there's a lot you know reactionless electric field thrusters all good stuff to read if you're interested in the kinds of drives that have been worked on for the last 60, 70 years and are still being worked on. You can find patents that are in Chinese or Japanese, like this one. You can translate them right there in it from the US Patent Office. Electromagnetic magnetic field generator and method to generate an electromagnetic field. Here's another one, method and apparatus for generation of a gravitational force on a rotating body such as a superconductor. None of that is really pertaining to exotic propulsion systems for spacecraft. 
but superconductor technology and research and the things that you're seeing right there, those are the precursors to the development of the kinds of drives that we're looking to be capable of developing something other than an internal combustion drive. This is where it starts is with stuff like this and physicists all over the world work very hard on it. This is one on the left here is a utilization of enhanced artificial magnetosphere for shielding against space hazards, environmental space hazards. So how to build a magnetosphere, an artificial magnetosphere shield against space environmental hazards. Here's another one, an apparatus for generating thrust using two-dimensional asymmetrical capacitor modules. An apparatus for generating a motional, meaning an electric field that will have propulsion in it. That one was done in 72. You're gonna find patents when you go on this little journey on your own. They go way back where people were thinking about some very strange things. Here's a closed loop electrostatic levitation system from 85, five claims and nine drawings. It was really interesting. I really liked reading it. To be honest, I'm not an electric engineer. So a lot of it was outside my realm of expertise, uh, much more mechanical for myself, but here's a, plasma propulsion for geostationary satellites and interplanetary spacecraft. Again, a scholarly article that is done by the French Space Agency, Marseille. That was a fun one to read. Anti-gravity. So I wanted to, you know, kind of look at anti-gravity because Sean specifically asked that, you know, and it, and true anti-gravity propulsion involves using a material or a technological effect that counteracts the effects of gravity without using aerodynamic lift. Electromagnetism or even some other kind of a balancing force. So the question is, are we there? Well, we haven't seen anything that we know of so far that's been flying like that, but I have some things I'd like to throw out. Anti-gravity also does not refer to situations in which an object or a person experiences a lack of weight because you don't like being in a pool or if you're, you know, in free fall, jumping out of a plane or any kind of a high altitude orbit, meaning out of a gravitational effect. All anti-gravity propulsion systems and experiments that scientists introduced to the public and that supposedly defied gravity could not be supported with concrete evidence. Again, that is not a deterrent to us investigating this or talking about it or thinking it, because if it had been successful, it would have been, if it wasn't already black, it would have been moved to black. If it was successful and it was moved to black and a lot of people were still chattering about it, then what you might've seen is an experiment that allowed everybody to safely walk away going, yeah, well, that crap doesn't work, right? Which is one of the things that they do. So no third party has ever been able to recreate an anti-gravity experiment. No physicists or researchers who still try to do this, none of them have actually found, according to about 10 articles I read, 
none of them have found an anti-gravity solution. Again, that does not deter my mind, nor should it yours, because we don't know what the truth is about that. And what we have to get off of is the bandwagon. We think that because we are interested in that truth that the government's supposed to tell us because they don't have to, and they won't. Because if we developed an anti-gravity drive of some sort, and if some of the things you saw flying around might have been powered by that, you would not be read on into that. They would not allow that to happen. They just wouldn't. So it deals with general relativity and it deals with negative mass and it deals with lifters and all these kinds of things. So there's just a lot that's going on with anti-gravity drives and study and research and working, you know, and the are we, it, it, that's on the slide. I apologize for that. It says, are we there yet? <laughs> that was what the <laughs> slide said. <laughs> so I don't know if we're there yet or not. This is another anti-gravity force of the vacuum and applications. And this one was just filled with drawings. This was again, inter international patent. And you can see all the countries that are partnered with this. So here's my take and why I put it in there like this is because if this is an international patent and it has funding from and focus from all scientists, researchers in all of those areas, right? Then there's probably something to the research, even though even though we're never, we're not going to know it, but there's right, got to be because, something there to it. <laughs> because I noticed that Russia and the United States were on the same patent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which right. means that somebody wants to keep an eye on something that looks promising. Yeah. And published or filed in 2010. So not old stuff. But here are some old ones, you know, from 71. You can see these things there. Again, this is a method and apparatus for generating a secondary gravitational force field to ride on that. If you're reading everything that's going on in this, there's all this clever stuff. Here's more electromagnetic thrust system. This is another apparatus for generating a dynamic force field. Here is another one, a fifth forced apparatus and method for propulsion. This looks like an M drive, an EM drive, electromagnetic, electromagnetic drive, but just the titles of them alone should be stimulating, right? This capacity discharge electromagnetic propulsion system, capacity discharge, so electrons, you know, pushing this thing forward. Is what yeah, they're just is. two plates of a capacitor, it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Very close to an M-drive. Electroless plasma thruster. So plasma as a thruster. Now, <laughs> this is kind of what you get. Like, if you go to one of these and you list articles, you just tell it I'm looking for articles along of this ilk. This is what it'll pull up for you. I mean, you can read to your heart's content on this stuff. And again, some of these would require you to spend the $35 to buy them, which I'm not too keen on. 
virtually everyone I paid money for was, <laughs> was, was worthless. But if you belong to a university library, like I used to as a professor, you can get this. If you enjoyed today's video, please hit like and subscribe and also hit the notification button so you can be notified whenever I post new content. Thank you. Now, if you're enjoying the channel and you want to support it, there are several things you can do. In fact, there are five things you can do. The first thing you can do is just buy my books. I got plenty of books out in the market right now, and I would prefer that folks buy a book rather than giving me direct support because they get something out of it. They have a real tangible product. The second way you can support me is by becoming a member on YouTube or becoming a patron on Patreon. And just go to either site and it'll explain everything. third way you can support the channel is by checking out my merch site, which is here. There's plenty of stuff that you can get to support the channel. And I'd appreciate that you, you have it and can wear it. Not only do you help support the channel, but you also help promote the channel. And I appreciate that. The fourth way that you can support the channel, and this is really easy, is anytime you want to buy something on Amazon, literally just go to the description below and click on any link, literally any link. The channel gets a cut of that, and it costs you no extra money. You just go through the link as I'm part of the Amazon Affiliates Club. The fifth and final way you can support the channel is through donations. Now, I don't prefer these because it's more of an expression of gratitude, but you don't really get anything out of it as a subscriber to the channel. However, if you decide to do these options, there's two options. There's Buy Me a Coffee, which is a separate site, and there's also you can go through YouTube with either a Super Chat, a Super Sticker, or a Super Thanks. Again, I prefer Buy Me A Coffee because that organization takes less money than Amazon does. But either way, I appreciate any support you are willing to give the channel. So thank you very much and keep watching. I really appreciate it.